Alright. How you doing? You slowly venturing back outside, taking those first steps like a like an animal released back into the wild. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been doing the same. It's fucking weird, man. I didn't think it'd be like an actual adjustment, you know, like going back to like somewhat normality. I mean, I know we'll be going back straight into the whole lockdown soon, probably, but yeah, it's weird, man. Yeah, so welcome to the Boys Barking Podcast, formerly known as Under the Doobie, but the name has had to change. <laughs> There's a couple of reasons. Um, first reason is I'm actually no longer coming to you from underneath a fucking doobie. A dear friend of mine and of this show has kindly sent me something in the post, which is uh, allowing me to record a lot freer, so I don't need to wrap myself up under a doobie and pull my computer down every now and then I get when I get too excited and I'm reading a story. So it's, uh, it's working out really well. Second reason um, is the name under the doobie I literally just called it that because that's literally what I was doing. But it's actually a book and a series of sort of non-fiction and articles and things by a writer called Marianne Keynes or Keys, uh, something like that. And um, she's got a, a, a book called that and another one called Further Under the Doobie. And if I'm going to try and grow this sort of show in any way, then if people are searching for Under the Doobie, it's going to go to her. And as great as I'm sure her work is, is uh, I don't want you to go in there. I want you to go in my work. But uh, so I had to, I had to actually make a little change for that because I don't want any copyright bullshit as well. Um, and there is a third reason as well. Um, the actual title, uh, the boys barking, is the kind of working title or will be the title of the novel that I'm actually writing, which is a good sort of two thirds done. And I felt like calling the podcast this and maybe even reading a few like the, sh- the short, short chapters and stuff out here might encourage me just to keep working on that and finishing it as well as doing this sort of little show because it's quite tough to kind of juggle a lot of different things at the same time well I find it difficult anyway um but yeah that's a little disclosure of that and I'm going to be setting up some like social media and shit under the boys barking so it was the right time to change the name but yeah fuck knows I'll, I'll, I'll keep you informed of that I think there'll be like an Instagram and all that shit don't even have that stuff for personal reasons, but I thought I may as well if I'm going to actually try and punt this out a little bit. But yeah, uh, I hope you're doing well, man. I know this is like, I don't even know how long it's been since cause the lockdown shit started, but it's kind of like a few weeks after I started doing this. So I feel like I've been like checking in on you periodically throughout this, and I'm hoping you're starting to feel a bit better, a bit more free in terms of what you can do. I mean, it's still, I guess, a little bit unclear, but... Yeah, I'm hoping you've been taking care of yourself and taking care of one another and doing the best that you can. I've got a story today. It is the uh, the first story that I've completed during lockdown. I've got a bunch of others that should be kind of finishing soon. This is the first one I've completed. It's called The Drowning Men. Uh, and it's one I'll probably develop further um, just for maybe some magazines and stuff like that. But I'm really happy with where I've got to in terms of uh, like reading it and sort of a performance based so I won't tell you too much about it I won't even probably go into too much about it afterwards but as you really know, you know the way I tend to write at this point it's more image based things and then try to wrap a narrative around some, some little strange picture I see in my head 
Um, and this is very much just along those lines. But without much further ado, I will play you The Drowning Men. Alright. Here we go. The moonlight drove me here tonight to see the drowning men. I'd only been in the car 20 minutes when I slipped under the highway's hypnosis and before I knew it, I was here. It's the third time that it's happened this week. I watched them struggling, gasping, screaming at times, slipping under the water, but never for long. They always surface eventually. They're never truly drowning. I look at all the faces, Bursting them with anguish. They're probably unrecognisable now from the men they once were. And the gulls cry out as they swoop down and peck at them. I was ten when my dad first brought me here. It was when my mum was away on her first holiday without us. My dad said we were going to have a boys weekend and he drove me out here. He told me it was something every young man had to see. But when I did, I couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand why we weren't helping them, why my dad didn't seem to care. But years have a way of hardening your heart, of taking that care for others and twisting it into a self-serving pity. I don't even think they have it so hard now. I've learned how easy it is to drown anywhere. Why can't we help them, Dad? I asked. This was their choice, son. So, we need to help him, I said, failing to understand, hearing one of the men close to the pier screaming for help. There's a rule, my dad said coldly. I didn't know the rule then. I didn't know why my dad was scarring me like this. I tried to run from him, but he grabbed me and he held me still and he told me to watch. You see, son, he said, they don't need our help. They will never truly drown. I didn't believe him then. But after years of visits here, I've seen the same faces amongst the growing crowds, more and more men struggling as boys. I know it's true. When one of my mum's holidays turned out to be an indefinite disobedience, my dad drove me out here again. I must have been 17. I'd start to view my dad as a conquerable foe, as young men do at that age, and I resisted the trip with everything I could. I'm not fucking going. You'll do as I say, son. Fuck off. You're just a pathetic man. That's why mum left you. My heart cringed when I said it. He took on a different form when those words came out and I watched him struggle underneath the weight of them. So I apologised and I agreed to go with him. I remember thinking in the drive out that day that there's no way this place could be real, that my young mind had created some bizarre fantasy and now I was older I would make sense of it. That maybe me and my dad were just going fishing, you know? All those things you hear fathers and sons doing. But we arrived, and there they were, bobbing against the current, fighting with every ounce of strength they had, always tiring, but never exhausting. There were a few other men that time. Another father and son, and a couple of men in their own. I couldn't understand it. 
each of them walking with a lifelessness that sent cold through my bones. Why is it only men that are here? I asked my dad. Don't ask such stupid questions, son, he said in a dismissive tone. My dad belonged to a generation where a gender's role came in a perfectly packaged box and after that day I learned not to talk much of women to him. I think that's why I struggle speaking to women. I think that's maybe why my wife doesn't know I'm here tonight. Why she doesn't know I've been coming here for years. I still don't understand why we can't help them, I said to my dad that time. I told you the rule, son. You don't break the rule. But, but why? Enough, son. I didn't really talk much to my father after that trip. A distance grew between us and within that distance grew obstacles neither one of us dared travel over. His house had started to decay with silence and the lack of life was robbing my young manhood, I thought. I want a new place, a new beginning. I want to put that house behind me. I want to put the drowning men behind me. I didn't want to be surrounded by images of them and the way their faces bloat and distort as the water fills their mouth and their lungs and the way their arms flail widely and their voices carry across the water like birds fighting in the sky. But I didn't outrun the images long. When my dad died, I took his ashes out here. It was the only place we really shared together. And I felt that, it, as his only heir, this must be the most fitting place to send him off. I sat there that time with my legs dangling off the pier, unbothered by the men swinging at them from the waters below. I sat there holding my dad and feeling empty. The only emotion I felt was disappointment and I didn't feel sadness. And I thought about how it might feel to let myself slip off the edge of the pier and into the water with him. But that's when I met Michael. A gentle hand pressed against my back and a soft voice escaped from behind me. God, you must have hated them to send them off here. I didn't know what to say. I turned around to see this bulk of a man with eyes like icy waters, but something about him was timid, betraying his words. Go on then, make it have been this much of a bastard you throw them in here. My dad, I said. Jeez. I'm sorry, he said, shaking his head. Nah, it's okay. Well, he said, looking at me. Was he a bastard? Not exactly. Well, he doesn't deserve to be set to rest here then. Scat him on a hill or let him be carried off in the wind. Don't put him here. This place isn't for the dead. The dead deserve some peace. Maybe you're right, I said. We sat there for a few hours, silently. I didn't even ask why he was there. My head was too wrapped in my own emotions. I remember him staring out though. He wasn't looking at any of the men drowning. He was staring out at the horizon like he was expecting something to come over it. And something about it started to soothe me. Something about him started to soothe me. I remember the taste of the salt in the air turning sweeter with every minute I spent beside him. Tell me about your dad then, he said eventually, turning those piercing eyes on me. And I did. I told him everything. How my dad, when I was little, was my best friend. But his life was like watching someone letting the air out of a balloon. How the smell I remember from being a wee kid that stretched always across his face eventually struggled to break out from his rough skin. I guess that's the way with me and my dad's age, I said. I mean, he worked in the yards and 
I don't think talking about feelings was on the agenda. We weren't really allowed feelings in the house once my mum left. Strange as it sounds, Michael said to me, I think there were too many feelings in my house. And you know what? I don't even think it really matters how you're raised. You're always going to blame your parents for fucking you up, aren't you? I don't blame my mum, I said to him. She was beautiful. She was a strong woman. She was too good for my dad. Well, she became too good for him when he started disappearing like a ghost before its grave. We went quiet again after that. It started getting dark that night and I knew I had to start making the drive home, but something in me couldn't leave Michael's side that night. And he said he had nowhere to be. It didn't strike me as strange at the time. So we went back to my car and we sat up talking. I told him everything there was to tell. How I had a girlfriend who wanted to marry me, even though she didn't know me. How she was pregnant with my son and I was terrified of what I would do to him. How with every year that passes, I felt more and more adrift. And he listened. He listened to everything. I put my head across his lap and I sobbed. I must have sobbed myself to sleep. When I woke up, he was gone. And something strange hung in the air. It seemed as though all the emotions I let out were swimming inside the car and as I opened the door, they went pouring out into the air and carried out into the water, but I didn't feel relieved. Something strange still hung over me. I looked around to see if Michael was anywhere, knowing the whole time what had happened. But I looked around for easily an hour. I looked everywhere I could before I went to the edge of the pier. There he was, gasping, fighting, sinking below the water. Everything in me wanted to dive in after him, and as the adrenaline began to flow and the blood began to course, I readied myself to jump in. It was then I heard my dad's voice in the recess of my mind. Don't break the rule. I watched for hours. I thought maybe he would stop fighting and find peace below the water, but he only fought harder with every second. He began begging me to save him, and every time I would just hear my father's voice. Don't break the rule. And I had to leave. On the way home, just as we were passing the sign welcomes back to Mongol City, I scattered my dad out the window. It took me a long time to return here after that night. I made a good go of my life for a while. My son came, and my wife and I got married a few months later. And I worked really hard at being what I thought a man should be. I didn't realise I was drifting further away from who I was. Too concerned with who and how I should be. Maybe I should have talked to my wife about it. But I've been coming out here instead. I've been coming here looking for him. I've been coming here because I know how to fix this. All of this. If I ever see Michael again, bloated and desperate, fighting hopelessly against the waves, I will break the rule. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. It's the uh, first completed story of the of the lockdown. There's a, uh, I mean, you'd think it'd be more fucking productive when you've got nothing else to do, but I've not been. Well, I have been. There's lots I'm, I'm nearly finished with, so lots I'll have kind of coming up. I'm going to um, keep this going more regularly. Because um, I know I've been a bit shite in that department. Um, I'm going to do a little, little series of just like 
the chapters from the actual novel that I'm working on. So I think I'll do that next next Friday. I'll put that out. It will be um, one of the, be the chapter one of the boys barking, and then I'll kind of splash in short stories as they kind of come to me here and there. Um, just so there's a bit of regularity to it, you know. But yeah, I really I hope you've enjoyed that, and I hope you've got some good plans ahead for the weekend. I am uh, for the first time going back to the pub this Saturday, which I cannot fucking wait for. Although I think it's going to be strange and dystopian, getting like some guy who looks like he's straight out a sci-fi movie, just fucking pouring you a pint, you know, from behind the bar with a big visor on and all that. But you know what? It'll be it'll be an experience and. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you've all got nice plans and you're looking forward to seeing loved ones and stuff again. But yeah, the boy's barking. You'll be able to see me on fucking Instagram soon and all your socials and shit. So just keep an eye out because the boy is well and truly fucking barking. See you later.